0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News.
1: When was the last time you thought about the breath you just took?
0: Hey, everyone, from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. So I'm going to ask you to take a second now and take a breath. And not like one of those pitiful little ones that we take when we're stressed out, but a slow, deep one in and out through your nose that really expands your belly. You can even try counting to about five and a half, I know that sounds funny, seconds on the inhale and exhaling for also about five and a half seconds. You probably notice you feel calm, but there are also so many other benefits to being intentional about how you breathe. Now, I gotta be honest, when someone recommended journalist James Nestor's book, Breath, to me, I wasn't sure how you could write an entire book on the topic. But he did, and it was so darn informative. It's been about 18 weeks as a top 10 New York Times bestseller, and it was awarded Best Book of 2020 by The Washington Post, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. So here's James on much of what we need to understand about not just how we can change our lives and the future of humanity through our breath, but how to own our curiosity and why the simplest stuff can be transformative.
1: I never, ever intended to write a book about breathing uh, because like you, I thought it was just this autonomic, mundane, biological function that we just did in the background that we didn't really have to ever think about. But it wasn't until, this was so long ago, over a decade ago, that I was having a bunch of respiratory issues. I was working out, I was eating the right foods, I was sleeping you know, a good eight hours a night. But I was having constant breathing problems. And whenever I saw the doctor, I was given a bronchodilator or antibiotics if it was an infection and sent on my way. And after a few years of just having constant problems, I began to wonder if there was something more at the core of these issues. And So I talked to a few other doctors and they said, check out breathing. So I did, and it did a lot for me. I haven't had any of those issues since, but I wanted to make it very clear in the book, and I hope I did, that this is not some screed against Western medicine. There are Mm -hmm. doctors in my family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am a huge fan of Western medicine. I would not be alive without it. Uh, Pills and powders and potions are fantastic. They have helped innumerable people get on with their day and Mm -hmm. save their lives. But I think for lower grade chronic conditions, a lot of those interventions just aren't effective. I think that this is how medicine has always worked. It's not like we're at some point in the modern day in which medicine is just being very inaccurate. At any time in history, we will discover that 50% of what we were doing in medicine was wrong, including right now, 20 years from now, 50% of it's going to be wrong. So I think it's it comes down to personal experience what is working for you what does the science actually say and to try things out and and see how you improve from them
0: you hmm. we went through this process of talking to many different people about breath and one of the things you said is there's nothing more essential to our health and well-being than breathing take air in let it out repeat 25000 times a day Yet as a species, humans have lost the ability to breathe correctly with grave consequences. So what did you see as you were talking to all of these different people, whether they be doctors, researchers, or just, I I forget what they were called. Um, Is it cataphiles?
1: (laughs) The the cataphiles, very good, yes.
0: What did you experience?
1: I think that that statement you just read, it seems to be completely over the top and ostentatious. I I realize that. But until you spend years researching this stuff, it's not until you do that that you discover that the vast majority of humans alive today are breathing dysfunctionally. And this is very clear in the scientific literature. And you also discover that we have focused so much on the foods we are eating. We focus so much on exercise, focus so much on sleep hygiene, but we haven't been focusing on our breathing. And you can do all of those things, but if you are breathing dysfunctionally, you're never, ever going to be healthy, ever.
0: I know you've shared a lot about how, how we can all breathe better. Um, but for someone who's listening to this going, I've never thought about this before. Like, how could how can they approach curiosity here um, when it comes to a topic that, again, is so deceptively simple that it's something that we just ignore? Like, how do you – I don't know how you did it because you were on the New York Times bestselling list for a while. But, like, how do you make breathing interesting for people who may feel skeptical or just uninterested?
1: Well, it's a good question. Uh, and it's something that I wrestled with for a very long time. So there's the scientific part of that. And there's the discoveries from anthropologists that our faces are changing. And there's the discoveries and scientists of the biochemistry of breathing, how it affects you. All that's cool. Like those facts are really interesting. But then you sit and you look and you've got a thousand pages of facts. And how do you synthesize that? into a story that my niece wants to read, but also my mom wants to read. And that's the real challenge. But that's what, as journalists, that's, that's what we do. You don't just give someone a, you know, a vomit of all these facts and figures. Your job is to make it digestible for the general public. And if they don't understand it, then you failed.
0: And during your process of researching all these years, what do you remember that was like the most important or biggest question you had about breathing? And and what was the answer or solution?
1: The biggest question I had was when I kept seeing ancient skulls. And it didn't matter if these skulls were from Australia or South America or Hawaii or Europe. It didn't matter. All of our ancestors had straight teeth. And they breathed differently than we do. They had these huge nasal cavities. And my biggest question was, if evolution means progress, which is what I was taught, that we're getting stronger and better with every generation, right? Survival of the fittest. That's complete garbage. Evolution means change over time. So life forms can change for the better or for worse. And humans in many ways are changing for the worse. That's what it has always meant. So if you take something that was considered to be standard doctrine of science, right? Evolution means progress and you discover that that is completely upside down, that it doesn't, then you start questioning everything, which is really unhealthy. Whenever someone says anything to you, even an expert at a leading institution, you have to go back and you have to fact check everything they said, Uh, which is good in some ways because it makes sure that you vet out all the noise, but in other ways it will drive you crazy because there's no one book in science where everything's correct, and you can just refer to that, especially with breathing.
0: One of the things uh, I loved about your book is that it got me thinking about, you know, earlier this year, I was speaking with someone who has a daughter, and he was saying, you know, she spent nine years studying geometry, but very little understanding the basics of herself and of life. (laughs) And and In my mind, I'm going, why don't we learn this stuff in school and how do we get to the bottom of some of these important conversations about what's needed to live a meaningful and healthy lifestyle um, outside of people like you sharing a book and me happening to, happening to find out about it because I read.
1: I think that's a tough one because we've set up a society in which there are a bunch of different silos you have to choose your path and then go all the way into it you want to be the master of your field right mm-hmm. and that's very important especially in medicine if i see someone and i have a kidney problem i want someone who's been studying that you you know for a very long time at the same time our bodies just like our minds just like everything in the planet isn't segmented into a bunch of silos. This is one united system, right? And what affects you in one area is going to affect you in another area. And breathing certainly demonstrates this. How you breathe changes how your whole body operates. And if you look at this in as far as other jobs are concerned, you know, I was trained to be a, a copywriter and to write uh, catalog copy and write advertisements, which is something I did for for years and years and years and trained in a lot of ways not to be curious because that wasn't part of the job description. So it's it's a tricky thing. You want to really excel at your job and to excel in your job, you need to be a master in your field. At the same time, you're just putting up blinders to everything else around you. So I think in your free time, you can expand your mind. You can read about other things. You can try to diversify your interest, but it's, it's hard in the way that we are educated in this country and the way that many of us work and what's demanded of us in our positions.
0: Yeah, I think oftentimes it's like you're so tired, you don't have space yeah. or energy to be curious. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it's it, it's so different than you know in the Renaissance, you you learn about everything. You, mm-hmm. you know that that's what it was supposed to be. You go to college to to it's the sampling of everything. That's what those two years of GE are supposed to be, but instead, you know, things are really competitive nowadays. So you got to find your lane and just just really go into it if if you're going to make it
0: narrow focus. Yeah, it's like horse blinders. Not everyone's going to get curious about breath, uh, but what inspired me in thinking about this and even in having this conversation with you now is I think the more curious people you know we allow to do the work they're doing or who choose to do work that makes them continue to follow their curiosities, the better off we all become societally. But I wonder how we get people to be more curious. How do we get people to invite more curiosity into things that uh, may not logically make sense in the moment but could be valuable?
1: But I think you can take whatever you're studying and use it as a springboard into pursuing other interests. Like this this book about breathing I wrote really isn't that much about breathing. (laughs) It's much more about the human body. It's about anthropology. It's about the process of how scientific discoveries and scientific paradigm shifts occur. And it's about health. Right, Uh, But you can use breathing as that conduit, as that doorway into understanding your body, understanding that you can take control of these functions in your body that we were told you could not take control of. Autonomic nervous system can be controlled with your breathing. So I think that that's what I tried to do in this book is to say you know, a breath, it takes a second to to take a breath. Well, what's, what's in that breath? How does it affect your heart rate? How does it affect your, your blood flow, your concentration, your digestion, how will it affect you in 10 to 20 years? How has it affected us in the past? And I think for nowadays, for whatever job you have, yes, you have to really own what you're doing and own it completely. But you can also, as I mentioned, use that as a doorway into other interests. Just because you learn one specific thing in school and happen to be doing that in work doesn't mean you have to do that one thing your entire life. You can diversify by, by growing into other areas. And it's all about being curious enough to do that. If you don't have the curiosity to do that, if you're content with where you are, that's great. You made it. <laughs> you know. If you're not, then you have to be curious. And it ultimately comes down to you have to do the work. Uh, you have to sit down, be curious, and to really research things in your own ways to find your own path.
0: Hmm. I'll also add, I think, you know, I feel fortunate in my work, and I'm sure you do too, that I get to talk to a lot of people. And so my network grows and grows and grows, and the conversations I have just expand my interest. And the work that I do is broad enough that I can talk to a lot of different people, so it's not a tight lane. But um, my own journey into just understanding my breath and my breathing because i am someone who has for a long time experienced worry and anxiety and so i Held my breath a lot. Had no idea that I was, but it was because of a, a mentor who had a fiftieth birthday party, which was a breathwork class, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was like, "I'll go because I love I love her." But I was thinking like, "I oh, got her in a sit down for meditation, and that's fine." But it doesn't sound super exciting. And I got there, and it was um, it was called conscious connected breathing. So it was you know, thirty minutes of breathing actually in through your mouth, which I know based on based on your book, we're not supposed to do most of the time. But in that class. Um, what I learned was how to get into my body and understand that I actually wasn't even breathing into my own diaphragm like I could feel my diaphragm expanding and I ended up doing the class every week for a year because it was just shocking to understand that you know this thing that I've taken for granted for so long was perhaps you know it was unexplored and maybe even you know harming me or or keeping me from performing really well when it comes to sports, exercise, and things that I, I enjoy doing that are physical.
1: Yeah, if you think about that, if you hadn't have gone to that class, if you hadn't have been curious, you wouldn't have known that you were breathing in such a dysfunctional way. And that dysfunctional breathing would have had a downstream effect on your ability to think, on your ability to sleep, on your ability to work out. I'm not saying you couldn't be doing all those things. You could, mm-hmm. but you would not be doing them to your full capacity. And you know, you can think about breathing almost like eating. You can get by eating junk food your whole life. A lot of people do. The body can compensate. You can get by. Does that mean you're healthy? <laughs> Does that mean you're feeling as good as you could feel? So I think the message is out about food, right? Mm -hmm. Who who doesn't know what is good food and what is bad food? You know, now it's clear. But with breathing is the same thing. We get most of our energy through our breath. And if you're struggling to do anything 20,000, 25,000 times a day, it's going to catch up to you. So I'm happy that you had that experience with that breathwork class. I had the same exact experience where I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> I. you don't realize how dysfunctionally you've been living until you s- sort of see through the cracks and try these different things out. And it certainly had a huge effect on me. That's what made me curious about it for so many years. And it's interesting to hear from other people who have read the book, and they're changing their breathing as they're reading the book, and at the end of the book, they're like, "Oh my god, I just felt this thing. It's called my diaphragm. Never felt it my entire life." Mm-hmm. And um, that's to me is 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 the coolest thing to to give someone the gifts that I was able to to get that really enriched my life mm-hmm. in so many ways.
0: You talked throughout the book about there is this theme of some of these researchers. Who had done this really powerful work that could be revolutionary and were either told they were crazy or they were ignored by others in the academic field or even in the medical field, and they're all sort of waiting for their you call it the Mew moment. What is the theme here? You know, I, I've heard the phrase like they'll call you crazy and then we'll ask how you did it. But what's the what's the theme that you were trying to capture by sharing these stories of people who had dived into work like this and then, you know, either didn't get found out about until late in their life or after?
1: Yeah, you know, some people had mentioned, they said, oh, you know, you were just looking for these specific stories and these specific characters that had the same arc Mm. where they discover something and it completely changes their life. And they usually come to these things because they're so sick and nothing else is, is working for them. So it changes their life. Then they teach some other people and it changes their lives and they're ridiculed almost their entire lives until the very last second, people turn around and say, you know what, you were right. Here's this medal for your contributions in medicine. (laughs) I was not looking for people with this arc. In in (laughs) fact, after a while, I was actively looking for people who did not follow this arc. Mm. But Almost every single person I was researching, and it didn't matter if these were researchers who were at Yale for 40 years or at Stanford or at Harvard, or if they were freelance researchers, they were all following the same arc. They came to discover breathing because nothing else was working. It worked for them. They taught people, the medical community derided them. And most often, but not all the time, at the end of their lives, they were awarded Uh, for their contributions to medicine. But what's interesting is this didn't just occur in breathing. This is basically any scientific movement throughout history. I mean, look at Copernicus, Galileo. Look at a hundred years ago, we discovered that eating a ketogenic diet was really good for treating epilepsy Mm -hmm. and for losing weight very quickly. hundred years ago, that was derided for a hundred years. And now look, my mom's on keto, you know? <laughs> so if, if, if you look at these things, uh, this is the structure of scientific revolutions. There was a great book written about this in the 70s that they all seem to follow these same patterns. And I think this breathing wave has been building for 20, 30 years. You know, the people I talked with, these leaders in the field have been working on this stuff for decades. No mm. one's been listening. It's starting to change. It only took... 30 years of them being derided by all their colleagues for them to now be taken seriously about nasal breathing at night, about wearing a little piece of tape, about mm-hmm. focusing on your breath. So I think we're at that moment. I don't think it had really anything to do with me or my book. I think it had a lot to do with COVID. And I think it had a lot to do with people losing the ability to breathe and then thinking, huh, maybe my breathing is important. And it had a lot to do with all these researchers who have been working so long, uh, oftentimes in vain.
0: Well, and that's kind of the theme that you see in technology, right? It's, it's carrot or stick. Either there's a problem big enough to push you forward, so much so that you'll put your life's work into studying it and understanding it, or you're so curious um, w- that you're willing to go down multiple paths uh, to get here. I, what, I, what I notice mostly is we have to have problems pretty big. Versus our curiosity, it's, it's generally that there's a big enough problem that we can expand into to either, you know, create a solution, create a company or find a way to, to get to where we need to go to achieve health or efficiency or whatever it is that feels like that's kind of the, the impetus for most people.
1: Oh, that was such an elegant summary. I should have just said oh, that instead <laughs> of going on my soapbox for, for five minutes. So I, I will just say, uh, yes, absolutely. And I think those pain points are so obvious right now for so many people. If you look at the number of people suffering from sleep disorder, breathing, especially kids, who are not diagnosed at all. Why is my kid uh, so sleepy? Why do they have ADHD? Mm. Why are they still wetting their beds, Mm. you know, when they're 10 years, 12 years old? uh, Mm -hmm. Let's give them another pill Mm -hmm. uh, without ever looking at their breathing. I think so many people have experienced this from chronic sinusitis to asthma to sleep problems, and they haven't really gotten too much relief from it Mm -hmm. because they're not looking at the core issue of it. And I think this has been building and building, and finally the word is getting out that, hmm, maybe you're breathing all wrong, and maybe that's contributing to this rash of problems you keep having year after year.
0: We're taking a quick break. While we're away, practice a few breaths through your nose. In to about five and a half seconds, and out to about five and a half seconds. And when we get back, James shares some surprising facts about what you might be doing right now to keep yourself from healthy breathing. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan,
1: We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
0: And we're back with James Nestor on the way we should be breathing to get healthier.
1: So a lot of us, we don't know the exact percentage, but... Up to 20 to maybe even 50% of the population breathes through their mouths uh, way too often. And at night, more than 60% of us breathe through our mouths. We know, scientifically documented, that mouth breathing and nasal breathing are two very, very different things. When you're breathing through your mouth, you're exposing yourself to everything in the environment. If you live in a city like me, that means pollution, dust, molds, viruses bacteria so our noses are our first line of defense and our noses allow us to get much more oxygen with much less effort Hmm. so it's much more efficient so that's one thing you don't hear a lot of people talking about that's the first step in healthy breathing learn to breathe through your nose the vast majority of the time If you're at a pranayama, kundalini class, conscious breathing class, and they have you breathe through your mouth, that's great. Go for that for a half an hour. The other 23 and a half hours of the day focus on nasal breathing.
0: Should we buy that, uh, the mouth tape?
1: Oh, very controversial. The the mouth (laughs) tape here. Um, I learned, I happen to have some right here with me, that, um, that people have been prescribing this, ENTs, dentists, respiratory therapists, for years and years. They just haven't been talking about it because they didn't wanna be ridiculed, but they know it works. This is uh, mouth tape. Uh, what it is, it sounds completely insane. It sounded insane to me until I heard about it down at Stanford and tried it. And uh, the technology here is you take a little piece of tape with a very mild adhesive, and you just put it on your lips like that. And it trains you to keep your mouth shut. And you take it off with your tongue. Don't rip it off. And by doing this in the daytime and then transitioning to wearing this at night, you can train yourself to breathe through the nose at night, which for many people can make an incredible difference to your sleep quality, even snoring and some forms of milder sleep apnea. Not for everyone, but for a lot of people. And there are only benefits to be had by nasal breathing. So give it a go.
0: Love that. All right, so so we covered number one and two. One was stop breathing through your mouth. Two was use your nose. Um, and you shared that the nose is used to keep invaders out, which I thought was just like it, some of these things are, again, so simple that you're like, of course, but uh, you don't actually think about it because you're not, you're not paying attention to it. Um, but number three, you said, was improve your lung capacity. And in the book, you talked about posture, um, but also the slow and low deep breaths.
1: So a lot of us will tend to breathe, especially when we're at a desk, just into our chest here. And when we're breathing just into our chest, very shallow breaths here, most of the breath we're taking in, we're just bringing in and exhaling it without ever using that breath. And the reason is because that breath gets stuck in our mouth, in our throats, in our bronchi, all these other uh, areas that don't participate in gas exchange. So you're just working, working, working without using that breath. It's like being at a stop sign and just constantly revving the motor without going anywhere. Mm. So what you should be doing is paying attention to your posture. It's gonna make your neck feel a lot better. It's gonna decrease your chances of having a headache instead of being like this all the time. And breathing fewer breaths, but breathing those breaths a little deeper and engaging your diaphragm. So not only will this allow you to get oxygen much more efficiently, it will calm your nervous system down, it will allow you to pump more blood to your brain, and it will also allow you to function in a way that is conducive to a stressful workplace. So you don't wanna be stressing yourself out, (laughs) breathing into your chest all the time. You wanna be in control, taking fewer breaths, but using that breath more efficiently.
0: And so that kind of goes through to, to number four, which you said was slow down um, and the way that you shared that. And there are many ways, breathing techniques to do this, but that um, you take a, a breath in to the count of three through your nose and then out actually to the count of six. So the exhale is longer. But the fifth one you said is the one that you said was most controversial, uh, which is hold your breath. And you talked about how, you know, uh, holding your breath in many circumstances is not great. But you say that holding your breath intentionally is actually a positive thing.
1: It's true. So, breath holding unconsciously is very bad. So, many of us do this throughout the day. It is called email apnea, and about an estimated 80% of office workers do this, where we open up our email and it's filled with a whole bunch of stressful stuff. And so, we respond by holding our breath. It's a fear response. And at night, so many of us have sleep apnea which is when we stop breathing throughout the night. So for a lot of people throughout the day and the night, they're unconsciously holding their breath. By consciously holding your breath, you learn to tolerate a little more carbon dioxide. You learn that breathing is within your conscious command. And there are so many benefits to consciously holding your breath, which is why it is an integral part of yoga, pranayama, kundalini, all of these ancient systems of breathing, qigong, they all have breath holding as part of their techniques because this allows you to learn how to control your breathing and then use that breathing to down-regulate your nervous system.
0: Mm. You know, James, after hearing you, you talk about this and the work that I do, um, we started this conversation talking about Western medicine and how there is absolutely no, nothing bad that you're trying to say about Western medicine. Uh, in fact, it saved your life and I'm sure it saved many people's lives. Uh, and at the same time, what I'm hearing you say and what I've understood in my own work is there's so much out there that we haven't explored that's already been discovered in some way, shape, or form. So I think there is a, a very real power in what you're saying of how do we combine what we're learning now? with some of what people already knew hundreds or thousands of years ago that could still benefit us.
1: Yeah, and I, I actually, when you look at Eastern medicine, Western medicine, I view this, what I do, what I write about as, as Western medicine. <laughs> um, and, and I mentioned that. I believe the the book Breath is almost entirely focused on Western medicine. What I mean by that is that the exercises – The data in there, all of these different functions in the body that I'm describing in that book are measurable. They're objective. They can be measured by instruments. It's not based on someone's opinion. So I think we're at a very exciting time right now for humanity because we can measure these things ourselves, oftentimes in our own homes. Wearables are so cheap now. And we're able to track our sleep quality. We're able to track our nervous system function, our blood pressure, our stress levels. And for some people, uh, blood glucose. You Mm -hmm. can continually track that. So you can see for yourself what is working. So even if you don't believe the scientific literature, You can try these different things out and see how your body responds to them. This is incredibly exciting for me. This is something I do all the time because everyone is slightly different and we're going to respond slightly differently to different interventions. But now we can focus specific interventions on what works for us. Mm -hmm. So this age of objective measurements being accessible to everyone, I think is really going to blow things open for health and longevity and so much more.
0: One of my spiritual teachers says, don't believe what I say, go try it, which I love. I think that's what calls up more of our curiosity is don't just believe everything you're reading and seeing, go try it, go go learn about it.
1: I, I would agree to that with, for a certain extent. With an asterisk. Um, when, when you get some guru saying, you know, try to live without food for, for 40 days, Fair. probably a bad idea. Fair. I think that the buy-in to breathing is is so minimal, we're breathing throughout the day, throughout our entire lives, from the moment we're born to the moment we die. So we can focus a few of those breaths throughout the day and see how we respond to it. Asking someone who has been vegan to immediately go keto or pescatarian, that's a big ask, and their bodies are gonna revolt in a lot of ways. By just playing around with your breathing, try five minutes of breathing differently, see how that works for you. Try it for 10 minutes, try it for a half an hour, adjust your posture, wear a little piece of tape as you answer emails for an hour. It's not asking people a lot. And Mm -hmm. and another thing is it's free. So the worst thing that can happen is you might feel a little better. There will only be benefits from breathing better. I know I sound like I'm some grotesque promoter of of this stuff, trying to commercialize it. But but I'm not. Uh, <laughs> what what I learned over over years and years and years is that the simplest stuff can be absolutely transformative. We don't need to make things complex. Breathing is available for everyone, everywhere. So I would give it a try and see how it works for you.
0: Love it. And with that, James. I'll have you answer these three statements. Better humans are? Curious. Better work is?
1: Enriching.
0: And a better world has?
1: More peace.
0: Love it. Thank you, James, for joining us. It was great chatting with you.
1: Thanks a lot for having me.
0: That was award-winning journalist and author of Breath, James Nestor. One big thing before we go. I keep coming back to this comment from James that some of the simplest stuff can be the most transformative. My Breathwork teacher, JP, always says, change your breath, change your emotions, change your life. He also wears this shirt that says, sorry for the things I said before Breathwork, which always cracks me up. And I mean, as silly and simple as this might sound, that class and understanding my breath did and continues to change my emotions. And now, according to James, I'm aware that it's changing a lot more. If you plan to start breathing when you open your inbox, share this episode with someone else who might suffer from email apnea. And make sure to leave us a rating before you go. It helps other people like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can always find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien Joe Giorgi mixed our show. Lorencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I will see you next week.